welcome everybody to Gameology Spinoff Series, Make It or Break It, number three. This is where we listen to Attila's not-yet-made game ideas, and we decide right here whether he should make them or break them. I'm Matt Falvey, and this is... Attila, Gabriel Brzezinski. All right, what is up? What do you got? What do you got? Okay, so we're still, we're still going down in alphabetical order here, so we've, we've hit C. Okay. And we're on to a game that I have uh, called Cave Explorer. Mm. So um, this is a game that was based off of a tutorial file that I was creating for kids because I had this little like RC car kind of thing and a bunch of simple rocks. And it was all meant to be very simple mechanics that kids could construct themselves. But naturally, as I was thinking about the design of this, I started thinking like, well, how could you actually expand on this, add to it and make it more like a real game? So just reading off directly from what I had written, as I always do, Cave Explorer, think of it as a puzzle-oriented motherload type of game. So if you've ever seen the Flash game Motherload, I played that a lot on Miniclip. So obviously this is a, an inspiration for this game. Um, real quick, if you're not familiar with it, Motherload is a game which is randomly generated uh, terrain. And you're trying to use this little drone to dig down into the ground and harvest resources, which you then take back up to the surface, sell off, buy fuel, buy upgrades for your mining pod, dig deeper, get more rare resources, and so on. It's just a classic sort of get resources, upgrade, go deeper kind of experience. It looks and, like Steam uh, Dig, but... There's a yeah, there's a lot of different games. Yeah, there's a lot of different games that have this same sort of idea of resource gathering, upgrading your character to be able to gather better resources. In a way, even Minecraft is something like this. Um, but this is all way before Minecraft. Uh, so there really shouldn't be any way of losing all your progress, which I think could happen in Motherload if you died, you're, if you ran out of fuel, or if you hit an explosive, like you, you had health, and if your mining pod died, then you lost everything. And it, it made sense, because it's like a randomly generated high score-based game. So this was meant to be more of a campaign-focused game. Um, getting destroyed by enemies simply makes you restart the current room. The emphasis of the game is getting through the cave. Once you make it out, you are given a score based on your number of deaths, speed, etc. So I don't think I had any intention of this being a randomly generated experience. I think the, the way I talk about puzzles and that kind of thing, I've rather certain that I meant for this to be a properly designed experience. The levels wouldn't just be randomly placed. Uh, so core mechanics. This is a much longer game design doc, I think, than any of the ones I've read on here before. Uh, the entire cave should be one large area where backtracking is possible. Uh, this way, some puzzles cannot be solved right away. You must do something somewhere else before you can move on. There should be a comprehensive mini-map of the entire cave that is mapped out as you progress through each quote-unquote level. Um... I have a side note to myself here. Think of Legend of Zelda Wind Waker maps. There are multiple floors. Well, so that's not exclusive to Wind Waker, of course. There's lots of Zelda dungeons that have different floors to them. Um, I go on to say lower floors are dark, requiring... Uh, oh, yeah. Further rooms require a better signal. So the idea is that you're using a little remotely piloted drone and that you can only go so far into the cave before you start to lose signal with this remote mining drone. Mm-hmm. So you need to have uh, you need to purchase upgrades, which is something I talk about a little bit lower. 
Um, there are items to collect, such as gems, gold, treasures, etc., which are sold for money. You need to look out for docking stations where your drone can recharge. Uh, you actually have to leave the cave to go outside and find these. And time is not measured when hooked up to a docking station. I guess that's important for time-based scoring. Um, multiple docking stations to minimize on backtracking, because again, in Motherload, you would dig all the way down and then have to fly all the way back up to the surface to recharge or refuel. Mm -hmm. So the idea with this is that you don't have to backtrack as much. There are, like, you're you're still sort of pushing your luck in terms of how far can you dig into the cave before you need to back out to the last familiar um, docking station, or how far can you sort of go on until you try to find a new, I guess kind of like a dark souls bonfire kind of yeah, deal. That's what I was thinking. But this is, again, this is way before I knew about um, dark souls. Um, let's see time. Is already, I read that already. Okay. At a docking station, you can sell your items, recharge your battery, save the game and buy upgrades. Okay. And such as your battery, you can increase the amount of charge you have in your battery. I have it on here. It is not critical for movement or signal boosters. So that being said, um, I didn't want fuel management to be a component to this game. Mm. I wanted it to be where uh, the battery could be used for other external things, such as a laser upgrade for shooting enemies, breaking through rocks, that sort of thing. Um, you wouldn't just like get stuck if your battery ran out. Not sure how you have unlimited power for movement, but you do. It's a self uh, self generating movement. Every time it moves, it creates enough energy to to level it out. So it's like a null sum, zero sum. Yeah. Okay. So headlamps, right? This is what you need to get through darker levels. It's not vital, but it certainly helps being able to see farther from your character. Signal boosters, where you're there, these are vital vital for getting deeper into the cave, further away from any uh, docking station or your sort of like signal origin point. And then I have an entire subsection on puzzle elements. So destructible walls being the obvious one, some of which can only be destroyed from one of the four sides. So if you approach something from like this is I'm assuming a top down view. So if you approach from the left and you see a crack on the far right side of the rock, then you'll need to like go around the level before you can eventually destroy the rock and create a sort of shortcut for yourself. Uh, these require the laser to break. Uh, then there's water, which can be, you can shoot lasers over like flowing water, but you can't drive through it. So this creates a couple of different puzzle opportunities where the player must move around a stream shooting bricks and then return to the now clear path. And water is also lethal to enemies, which means that the player could destroy blocks which uh, the enemies are, uh, I guess, have following a very simple kind of AI where they just sort of bounce off of blocks. So if you destroy a block, the enemy isn't bouncing off of it anymore. They just go right into the water and die. Um, like Disney would have us believe that lemmings behave. Mm -hmm. um, then there's also the opportunity to uh, destroy... Um, a block that's serving as a kind of stopper and allowing water to flow through to lower levels where you could use it for some similar effect. Um, there are power generators the player can encounter which allow them to recharge from within the cave, but I guess in a sort of limited fashion, you can't sell items or buy upgrades. You can just recharge off of them. Um, right, okay, switches that you uh, redirect water canals allowing... 
the player to yeah redirect water flow pushable crates because you know those are just a staple of top-down puzzle mechanics um crates that move when you shoot them and if they're cornered then they explode crates that explode um they can cause a chain reaction so that you have to i guess line up where you want the crates to be before they explode and uh what else? What else? Uh, well, what's, yeah, what's the general? When you say is it top down or is it going yeah. to be more two dimensional from the side? Is it? Does it look like motherload from above? Two dimensional no, from above. Two dimensional from above. Yeah, so, uh, motherload was like yeah from the side. Um, so what would be a game that looks like that? Just so I can get more of like a visual. And how do you oh and how do you God. do multiple levels when it's top down? Well, if it, you just have like your character walks onto like a, a staircase or something, and they end up lower down or something. Uh, in the way that, like, Pokemon has, like, you just walk into a staircase and you're on a lower level, or you okay. walk into a ladder. Like, a, like yeah, think of, like, Pokemon in a cave. Puzzles where the character... is obviously, I played a lot of Pokemon growing up. So, where yeah. you're using the uh, strength HM to push boulders and those little kind of okay. push block puzzles. Um, so, puzzles based around that sort of thing. And... Yeah, I just have a couple of notes on like how I would achieve some of this technically, how I would use uh, programming to have like treads drawn along the ground as the robot, the little rover is draw, um, moving around, uh, using a simple flowing animation for the water. So that's pretty much it. It was, it's a lot of ideas, and I don't think any of it sounds bad. But I don't think there's any significant hook to this either. Yeah, that's the main thing, is that... So it becomes like a... It's a puzzle crawler. Yeah. Through these uh, dungeons, and then... But yeah, it doesn't have the... It uh, doesn't have that, that hook of, of what what's what separates it from other ones. And maybe it doesn't necessarily need to, but in that sense, then there needs to be something like maybe when you look at it, you see mm-hmm. that it's doing something in a different way. So it's sort of a a catch-all of, of a lot of those so like top-down puzzles then i would think where is the concentration of the gameplay loop how long do the puzzle rooms take is it mm-hmm. is it about are they almost like dungeons and say a zelda game where you're sort of working on uh, a puzzle in multi-part patterns like okay i see this or is it more of um like a bit more like mindless and meditative and therapeutic where like a minecraft thing where you're just kind of nothing is all that difficult it's just more of progressing your way through it the way you want to or is it more of a like does physics play a lot of a way into it almost like worms where you're using exploding Mm -hmm. barrels under these things and then kind of having fun in the way you can make the different barrels and water levels interact with each other i'd say that a lot of what i've written here sounds very functional but it's in desperate need of a stronger theme yeah just something that really lets you connect with it help something that uh, breathes life into the project yeah, that's right. I mean, it either it needs a story, I guess, or um, something in it that feels really good to do. So what is that? I yeah. mean, if you look at, say, like SteamWorld Dig, which is basically just the first one was a lot of crawl all the way down, grab some things, and, and then work your way back up. And there wasn't really a lot of like sort of storyline draw as far as I know. I mean, there was a bit of a story going along, but it looked good. The platforming felt really good. But if you're going for like a top-down view, mm-hmm. then I think... I find it harder to relate to how does that feel good just in terms of the pure joy of movement. So in that yeah. sense, I would think of it more of like, um, like a, almost like a Rubik's cube you're inside of that you're trying to figure out. So maybe if it yeah. was more on the puzzle side of it, where it was a room you could get a pretty good view of all at once, 
Mm-hmm. And then you could see where the puzzles are and try to work your way through it. I think that that could be maybe a way of hooking people in where you could just show them one screenshot and say like, all right, here's the room. Here's all the problems. How would you approach this? Yeah, and, exactly. People sort of naturally start to work through the puzzle in their brains. Yeah. Why did you choose the top down view? Uh, just because it was easy, because this is a game that I was expecting kids to be able to create the sort of groundwork of right um would you ever want to go for more of like a two-dimensional from the side like you said um, i don't know because i guess there are already games like that and you can construct different puzzles in 2d than uh 2d side scrolling than you can in 2d top down sure yeah so a lot of these sort of push block puzzles function very differently when you're pushing blocks left and right versus when you're able to push them in any direction right it's also very hard to design those sort of puzzles where you don't just get sort of jammed up and have to reset them. Yeah, so, yeah, it's more of a grid that way when it's top down. Yeah, so you can almost exactly see, you can almost see the checkerboard that it's laid out on. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably the primary reason I had for this being a top down experience. Hmm. So yeah, I guess I guess like you said, you just need to find that hook of what sets this apart in a way of would it be? I mean, could you see everything on the one screen at a time, or do you, or would there be? Would things be hidden by the different levels or, or maneuvering around yeah, on the map? Yeah, no, for sure. I think there's the idea is that you'd probably build out the map as you went, and you'd see, um, like, maybe you'd enter an area where you could see, like, a a water wheel that had no water flowing onto it, then you know, like, oh, okay, I probably need to get above this somehow and trigger water to flow down to, like, activate a mechanism, that mm. sort of thing. So things that kind of hinted at, like, oh, you need to progress further to a different place before you can trigger something. And that in itself is kind of like a puzzle. But still, I feel like this is a an example where there's nothing technically wrong with yeah. the design of this game, but there's also nothing exceptional about it. Um, it was a bit of design philosophy that I heard from um, Mark Rosewater, one of the Magic, Magic the Gathering card designers, that... It's not great to create a card that everyone's just kind of okay with. It's far better to design a card that some people love, but some people hate, because then there's at least some sort of strong emotional reaction. So I feel like without a lot of uh, effort put into the theme of this, I mean, like, yeah, you'll see these kind of push block puzzles layered into other games. Like in Pokemon, you have that as a small, small facet of cave exploration. But trying to design an entire game based based around that, I don't think anyone's super into those kind of puzzles. Or unless this was just like really designed to be like a super kid friendly game where there's no fast reaction time necessary. It's just like letting uh, like seriously, like six-year-old kids sort of slowly work their way through the game. And I feel like it's well-oriented for that. I feel like it's well-oriented in terms of the way that you never lose progress. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something that you're meant to repeat and get better at over time to like help um, build early like puzzle recognition, um, pattern recognition skills and that sort of thing. So yeah. I don't think this is a mainstream, like anyone could sit down and play this game. I think it would be technically playable for anyone who wanted to go through it but i think that really it's only got enough to hold the attention of a a kid who's for because like push block puzzles aren't hard you can take a second to just sort of stare at it and you can sort of figure out what's supposed to go where but often kids resort to just more of a trial and error kind of thing for those sort of things i know i certainly did sure so 
So in that sense, yeah. if, it, if it was something that was small enough in scale that you could have a look at it, and without mm. even moving and exploring, you could do all the thoughts sort of necessary, I could see yeah. it being a simplistic, maybe like a mobile game. We always kind of result to these, well, I'll make it a mobile game then. <laughs> but if it's a quick experience that isn't time sensitive, and you could look at it on one screen, maybe uh, like a compete against your friends kind of thing and see who can finish the room. Because if you're, if you're designing it around... Uh, people improving their pace at it. I love when mm-hmm. when you're able to compete against your friends. Like, well, Attila did this in nine moves, so I'm going to see yeah. if I can do it in eight moves, kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where, like, I don't. If it really was meant to be a game for kids, I don't think you really play up that same level of social competition among children. Right. And in fact, we're we're always trying to like put effort into telling kids, like, hey, no, 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 take it easy. Don't take so th- t- don't take things so personally. Don't get so competitive. Um. So yeah, it's. I, I'm sort of like split between giving this a make or break just because there's nothing technically wrong with it, but yeah. there's also nothing great about it either. I think I have to go with break it. What about you? Yeah, I th- either break it or at least put it on the uh, on the side. It's it sounds to me like a, a great gameplay mechanic that just needs that one extra thing. So maybe you come up with something where there's a story involved with it, or some other hook, and then you need to have that sort of gameplay to come along, come along for the ride. You know, I mean, yeah. if you look at something like Pokemon, it's a fun little turn-based combat system and a little bit of exploring. But what makes it interesting? are finding the monsters and the story and, and competing and progressing. So maybe you come up with a, a different story along the way, and then this is uh, this goes right alongside it. But, I mean, how do I... I don't know anything about why Puzzle and Dragons is popular or why Candy Crush or these things are. They're these, like, yeah. puzzles that don't really seem to have anything else with them other than that they're just this quick sort of drip feed of quick um, the chemical in your brain that makes you feel good. Yeah, so again, I'm glad we could sort of look at an example like this where, like, there's other reason at least there's one other game i think the first episode where we gave it a break it and that was because there was something that i felt was very obviously wrong with it yeah this one i think is a great example of something where i don't feel like there's any single thing wrong with it but there's also no single thing that it does right and therefore why make it why bother there you go we're off to a roaring start why bother okay (laughs) what's the point (laughs) now uh up for another one yeah okay so i've got one here that the name of it is just Center Tetris. Okay. So Tetris played from the center of the screen outwards where all four corners are, uh, I imagine, I don't, I don't think I meant corners. I think I meant like sides of a sort of central block, um, are viable places to let a brick down. Special bonus if a player is able to make a full square and that is proportional to the size of the square. Players have free control over where the place goes with the arrow keys uh, there's a preview of where the piece is going to land, and you have a time limit as to when it drops. Okay. Underneath all of that, I have something that says better idea. <laughs> uh, Tetris pieces appear from all four sides and move inwards. You rotate the center block to catch the pieces so that oh, they form squares. Oh, that is a way so, better yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because now you don't. Now you're not just playing Tetris, but on a like four-sided shape. Now you've actually got like some polygon in the middle of the screen made up of squares that you're rotating so that it matches with the different directions that pieces are in so yeah um i think that's far more interesting uh and then again like all you really need to do is have um 
sort of control tilt left, tilt right. And you don't really, you you can't control the pieces that are falling. All you can control is which face is going to catch them. So, Oh, you can't rotate the pieces. I don't know. I don't know. This is not a super fully formed idea as contrasted to what we just talked about. How does it work with that? Could you release a game that is basically Tetris, but with four angles? I mean, mean, do they own the rights to, to making making an object out of, or pieces. Yeah. No. I don't think there's any, like, I, I think people would call you out and say, like, hey, this is just Tetris, but there's a lot of things, like, alternate game modes that people have added to, to Tetris in, yeah. like, various stages. Like, if you look at Tetris on iOS, there were, like, so many different twists on the Tetris formula, but it was still very centered on the classic, like, building up from the bottom. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think they're, I, I saw like the, the same reaction that you had with, that I had with this, where, where I mentioned the quote unquote better idea, which is like having, rotating the base and moving yeah. the base around to compensate instead of the individual pieces. Like you have to catch it instead of being able to drop the piece exactly where you want it. Yeah. So in that so, sense, you could get rid of, I mean, if you needed to, if you wanted to keep it more original, you could ditch the idea of Tetris pieces and, and yeah. put the focus on just com- totally rotating and maybe shifting to the left and to the right as well as you rotate yeah. them. I mean, the nice thing about that is the most frustrating part of Tetris is when you've screwed yourself. Mm-hmm. So now you're like, ah, I'm either, I could either keep playing with this bad setup that I've given myself or start yeah. over. But with this one, you have more sides to work with. So you yeah. could maybe flip over and maybe you do so well on another side that that sort of allows you to cut down or compensate or something like it gives you a clear and then it lowers all of them down at once. Yeah. So I really like that idea. It's basically what, what Mario did when they went to Mario Galaxy. They said, what if we just made the platforming all the way yeah. around? And it just adds so many more possibilities. So I, and I don't think I can think of a, another puzzle game that's done that. Yeah, it's a really simple twist that just sort of like kind of starts your brain thinking along the various possibilities. Like, oh, yeah, that that could be interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it would play. I'd love to see a prototype of it to see whether this has any legs to it or not. But um, so is that a That's make a it make it, you? baby. All right, cool. So, um, Moving right along, because I've got one that's kind of related. Okay. So I think we'll we'll use this one to close out the episode. So this game is called Collapse. And this is also a puzzle game, also very similar to Tetris. That's why I wanted to sort of bookend it. Um, so you are trying to align blocks under a time limit, but instead of falling one by one, all of the blocks remain suspended some distance from each other. And you have to rotate them so they all align perfectly. So you can imagine just a whole bunch of shapes in space. And you have to, like, click on individual ones to make them, like, spin or rotate. Okay. And then you have to, I guess, at some point, whether it's a time limit or whether it's a user-triggered action, you hit a button and then all the shapes, like, drop down and coalesce. So you have to sort of play out an entire game of Tetris that is possible, like in the way that it is possible to rotate all these shapes such that there will be no gaps between them. But you have to sort of mentally plan that out. And that becomes sort of difficult to mentally construct. Like if these pieces are kind of um, not aligned to a perfect grid, but if they 
uh, might be sort of hovering at different heights from one another. Like there's pieces literally um, just so you can imagine like scrolling up to see like all different kinds of pieces. You have to make sure that you're dropping pieces together so they agree. Um, Some piece that you might rotate uh, now occupies more space along different rows. So that sort of like you, you can sort of, I guess, build it from the bottom up. But maybe that maybe not all the levels coalesce from top down. Maybe some of the levels like they all coalesce together from all directions. I don't know. I think this is again another sort of take on the way Tetris gameplay could function. Um I'll keep I'll keep reading the game design document to yeah. give you maybe a bit more insight on this. Um Okay, levels scale up in difficulty as you construct a small chunk of wall which becomes rotatable block okay so this was one thing that i thought was really cool about this idea is that you spend all this time constructing a single shape like all the pieces coalesce Mm -hmm. and then that becomes one piece like you zoom out and that's one piece in like the next level oh okay or like you have a screen of like I don't know, 12 or 16, let's just say 16 for like a nice square number. You have 16 levels that you go through and you solve all of them. And then once you've solved all of them, they've all consolidated into these fixed pieces. Then you zoom out and those 16 levels become another level as now each of these pieces now have to like coalesce in some way. So it's almost like a, like Katamari Damacy type of. Yeah. Yeah. You have sort of meta level. Sort of I, I like that. I mean, anytime you can, because then you're progressing from it. Um, and uh, you could either have it so that once they're completed, they're completed and they become their own blocks, or the way that you structure them from the start has an impact on how they're used in their next phase of being. Yeah. So the, the flavor text I have at the bottom of the design document here. These are where fragment bricks are from. An infinite wall serves as a barrier between universes, but the wall has be- has fragmented and broken. You must repair the wall section by section. Okay. So, we'll, we'll I, I don't know exactly what I was going through. Oh, in a way I do. I used to draw um, doodles of these, What I, I guess what I called fragment bricks, Um just the idea that there's this sort of traced out pattern um, in an otherwise very plain, uh, like don't don't imagine bricks as in like a brick wall, but imagine just like a sheet of like a white square with some, um, let's imagine a like f- something that is just like got a little bit of thickness to it. So not quite like a sheet of paper. It's got like a little bit of thickness. And then you start carving out lines and patterns into that shape. So I think this sort of um, doodle pattern game that I used to do was the, uh, I tried to sort of make a game where these sort of shapes would appear. So yeah, that's where this came from. And again, I feel like this is, hard to stand on its own in terms of an idea it doesn't spark the same level of imagination as the tetris but you rotate the middle kind of thing does well i mean the thing with tetris but you have the middle is that as soon as you say tetris i mean if any game could give mario or pac-man a run for most recognizable game it's tetris right it's such an easy concept and Mm -hmm. it makes sense as you put it down so i think that's the thing with puzzle games is that you want them to be 
simple to understand, but then complex mm-hmm. to master. So where this game will make or break is if you showed it to somebody, how long will it take them to pick that up and be able to um, know sort of immediately? Like, what, where do you see the, the learning curve on, on a game like this? And, see, and, and the say the play length um, and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's the difficult thing where because of the fact that, like, I, I like, probably my favorite thing about this is the idea of, like, zooming out and suddenly these levels that you finished are now a level unto themselves. Yeah. But <clears throat> because of that, you have to have a very sort of strict solution set. Like, there really is only one way to solve each of these puzzles so that they'll work in the overall, like, meta level. Right. And again, I can imagine it being very frustrating if like you found one solution to a level, but then when you zoomed out to the metal level, it's like, oh no, I got to change that one. I got to change that one. I got to fix that one. Unless, um, unless it was where every time you could give people different ways to finish it, but then when they finished it, it would sort of become this solid block of, of what was needed in, in the next phase. Right. So then it, the question is like, do, do all of these puzzles just have one solution? Because... I'm not a huge fan of single solution puzzles just because, you know, you solve it once you've, that's it. There's nothing interesting. There's no execution challenge in it. It's just, it just is what it is. So again, I, I think that there's some interesting ideas in this one, mm-hmm. but the, the hook of, and then when you finish it, it be- it carries on and it progresses, and then it becomes something you can use the next time. The hook is there. It might need to be more of a mm-hmm. longer form uh, sort of. I mean, that could be kind of a, a really fun way to mess with people's minds and perspective of things mm-hmm. that could keep going. But yeah, the the trickiest thing is going to be finding the link yeah. between the phases and how you keep that satisfying and how you retain the sort of puzzle freedom without having to make people backtrack in any way. Yeah. It's not, um, it's not sort of setting off the same things in my mind that, uh, some of the other games that we've talked about have, like, I don't, I don't really see how I would carry this one forward. So again, I think I'm going to have to give this one a break in its current form. Sure. It goes back to the, uh, goes back to the archive, goes back to the floor of maybe, maybe it gets picked up and it gets, it gets put in, it becomes leftovers. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the, I guess those are the three games we'll talk about today. Next time, let's see, are we moving on to, no, we've still got a couple of C games left. So we'll probably talk about those. And, um, yeah, the, again, all these design ideas that I'm sort of putting out there for everyone to hear, um, are eventually going to be part of a gameology make it or break it game jam. Mm. So as soon as I can, figure out the sort of details of the logistics of when that's going to be you're going to hear more about it but you'll be able to follow along on my website bluish green productions and i'll make sure to keep everyone notified via this podcast and yeah i just want to get a couple more ideas out there so that if i were to make a game gem based around constructing ideas that we talk about on the show that there's enough variety for people to choose from mm-hmm. so we're we're sitting at about 10 ideas so far i think we talked about three in this episode three in the last episode and no no i guess nine ideas because we sort of skimmed over one in the first episode so between eight and nine ideas a couple that we've said to make it a couple we said to break it and it'll be interesting to see how people if they participate in the gem um 
take these ideas. I'd love to see different people's take on the same idea. I'd love sure. to see how people decide they want to take this. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is that if you have a design idea that you want us to evaluate in this way, and you're cool with it being heard by everyone, if you want sort of constructive criticism and feedback in the same way as I provide for my own ideas, my own archive, then also please do get in touch with us via my website, bluishgreenproductions.com, where you can also submit uh, feedback or other questions you want us to answer on the show. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Attila Gabriel or my uh, sort of public handle that's Bluish Green Pro. I did those backwards this time. And uh, I love it when it's yeah, live, you. baby. Well, <laughs> you can find this podcast uh, on iTunes or wherever you found it. Please leave a review. It really, really helps. Just give a couple stars. You can write a couple letters. It helps out a lot. Um, this is also available in video form if you're not watching it in a video already on a 90s kid, the official 90s kid YouTube channel where I also do Let's Plays and streams from other games and we talk about games. And on 90skid.com, I write reviews and articles there. And my Twitter is GameThinkTalk. So thanks everybody for watching or listening or hopefully a combination of both. See you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.